Hey, we, I am so, I've been excited about this morning for a while, for a number of weeks, and uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Josh Wilford is with us. Uh, let me introduce him in this way. Some of you guys don't know this, but we are part of a network of churches called the Assemblies of God, and uh, Pastor Josh will tell you a little bit about the reach of the Assemblies of God in just a few moments, but uh, Pastor Josh, uh, a, a little over year and a half ago, two years ago, became, uh, was tapped on the shoulder. He was leading a church and to become, for the state of Ohio, the leadership development director for all the Assemblies of God churches in Ohio. And he is just, this guy is so anointed and so fantastic and so real and authentic. Um, him and his wife Tasha have been married for 15 years. They have two boys and uh, he'll tell you about them as well. But would you just give a warm, appreciative welcome to Pastor Josh Williford this morning. Right. What's up, Journey? How you doing? Oh, come on, church. Don't you give him that and then give me that. Okay, come on. <laughs> so good to be in Fremont today. Come on, somebody, right? So uh, it's such a pleasure to be with you today. As Pastor Ken said, I am the Leader Development Director of the Ohio Ministry Network. You may not be aware of it, but there are 280 churches here in Ohio, 900 ministers, and 75 thousand people who are worshiping in churches across this state but check this out it doesn't just stop there you're part of something even bigger than that 13,500 churches in the United States 3 million people this morning 35,000 credential holders and it gets bigger than that it gets bigger than that 350,000 churches worldwide do you hear what I just said did you know there are 35,000 McDonald's in the world We got McDonald's beat coming and going, okay? Uh, <laughs> all right? Check that out. Check that out. And check this out. 70 million people worldwide in 202 countries and territories. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing that every 90 seconds in an Assemblies of God church somewhere in the world, someone gets saved. Every 90 minutes, a new church is launched. You're a part of that. I always love knowing that I'm a part of something way bigger than me way bigger than this. I love being a part of something huge because it tells me God's on the move. Yes. And so at the Ohio Ministry Network, I get the privilege of serving our Ohio churches as a leader development director, which means ministerial education. I get to oversee the, branch, uh, the regional campus of Southeastern University here in Ohio, 22 different degree programs, six master's degree programs. Uh, we're coming up on about 80 students this fall uh, who are going to be with us and uh, really excited for them to be back in the mix. And so if you're looking for an opportunity to grow in your education, not just in the ministry related degrees, though we have those, we have business degrees and we have human services and education and all that stuff. We have master's degrees, so if you're looking for an MBA, come talk to me, I'll hook, hook you up. Um, but uh, we got all kinds of fun things. We got education for those who are, who are looking to be credentialed. So one of the things I do is help ministers get credentialed. And so we have educational tracks for that. And so maybe you're late in life and you're sitting here and for weeks, God's been stirring your heart to, to walk into vocational ministry. And you go, but I'm 40 and uh, I don't need another bachelor's degree. We've got a way to help you get your ministerial credentialing uh, education done. I do that. And I oversee all the age and gender ministries. So all the camp stuff that's happened this summer is our team, a boys, girls, men's, women's 
uh, children's and youth. That's, that's my tribe. Those are my people. And, uh, and then I also oversee ministerial credentialing and all the development efforts. And so I, I've got a lot of things going on in my world, <laughs> if you can't tell. Most importantly, I've got a great family. And so I'm in a the, the, uh, fun phase of life. My wife is the student life coordinator, or director at SCU Ohio and also a professional counselor. And uh, my two boys, I got an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and so I'm cresting over from elementary school this year into middle school. So we're going to hold a prayer meeting after church. <laughs> um, just going to agree together because, man, this is a different season for us as a family. We did move from a church we pastored for 10 years uh, in Northeast Ohio uh, to the office about a year ago, and uh, just an incredible journey and I don't know about you, but these transition moments often lead me to ask the question, now what? Right? As a, as a parent um, who's getting ready to uh, have a, a middle schooler, all the things I've learned about parenting to this point, it's just like they're gone. They don't matter anymore. <laughs> you know, like, now what? Now what do we do, right? I remember 15 years ago coming in after Bible college, of course, I'd had all the training and all the classes that taught me how to engage the scripture and how to, how to preach and how to do ministry and all, all, all that stuff. And I get in and of course I know everything because I've got a Bible school degree. And so <laughs> I get in my office in, in, in a little church in Salem, Ohio, and, and uh, I, I set up my books because that's what that needs to happen. I set up my desk, put all the things in there. I sit down and I'm like, so what do I do now? <laughs> I think I sat in my office for a week. Not knowing what to do. <laughs> right? I'd already set up my books. What's after that? You know, like, right? Uh, now, now what? Maybe you're in one of those seasons in your life. We all face them. We all face the now what season. It's, uh, maybe you've got your kids and they're off to college. And uh, come on, somebody. <laughs> can, I get, can I get a witness, right? Yeah, right? You're there now. Now, now what? Right? You're in, in, in transition, all kinds of transitions in life. Now what? Maybe... Maybe you're there. You know what that's like, where you, you go and go and go and go, and then you get there, and you're like, Whoa, what do we do now? What do we do now? The disciples were there one day. The disciples were there one day. Um, you know their story really well, don't you? Um, the story goes like this, that Jesus taps them on the shoulder one day. Uh, they're all doing their own thing. You can hear several accounts of this throughout the scripture. One of them is Luke chapter 5, and Jesus is with some of them who are fishermen. He says, hey, follow me. And they do the craziest thing. I still can't understand it apart from God speaking to them, right? They do the craziest thing in, that they could possibly do, and they leave everything they know and they follow Jesus. Do you realize how crazy? I mean, that's crazy now to leave your career and do something different based on one interaction. But that's really crazy then when their dads were fishermen and their dads were fishermen and their dads were fishermen, everybody's a fisherman, and leave your whole family. People didn't leave their families. They left everything. They followed Jesus, and they followed Jesus because he was this very compelling teacher, this very compelling guy, this very compelling rabbi, and he's following him and following him, and along the way, they start picking up the picture, don't they? They start picking up the picture. He starts doing miracles. Whoa, that's different. Maybe he's a prophet. So maybe he's not just a teacher, maybe he's a prophet, and eventually, you know what I know, they come to the realization that he's not just a teacher, he's not just a prophet, that he is in fact the one they have been waiting for. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been waiting for this one 
person to come. He is the Messiah, is the word they use. The Son of God. And the momentum is building, and the momentum is building, and they can see it. The crowds are getting bigger, and everything is pointing, and then all of it stops. Literally overnight. Everything stops. Jesus is arrested, he's put on a cross, and he dies. Now you can imagine if you'd cashed everything in, you put all your chips in the middle for Jesus, believing that he's the guy, and then he dies. Yeah, that's pretty scary. What a fool you are. And everything, right? Now their lives are potentially in threat. They hide in the depths of sorrow. But it's not very long that the depths of sorrow become the heights of joy. Because, of course, we know that Jesus doesn't stay in the ground, right? He, he bursts forth from a tomb and then appears in the room they're in. That changes your Sunday forever, right? I can tell you for sure that if Jesus appeared right there, we'd be talking about it, right? That happened to them. That happened to them. And so they're in this mode now for 40 days after that where Jesus is kind of recalibrating their thinking. And the Bible says that Jesus starts teaching them how to, how to connect all the dots together with the Old Testament and the scriptures they had and all the things. And Jesus does that. And they come to a point where they're in that now what moment. And the way that question is asked, it's Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. The way that question is asked is, when are you going to restore your kingdom? That's the way he asked, they asked the question. And it's a good question because this has been building up not just for a few years but for several hundred years because they have this this roman empire who's ruling over the top of them and they are the people of god and the messiah is supposed to liberate the people of god and so what does that mean it means political overturning that's what it means they're gonna throw off the romans and they have been under the the rule of somebody for a very very long time before the romans were the greeks guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Before him, there were the Persians. Before the Persians, there were the Babylonians. And before the Babylonians, there were the Assyrians. And even when the Assyrians, before the Assyrians, it wasn't that good. They have been waiting for this for a very long time. When are you going to overthrow the Romans? When are you going to launch in your kingdom? Because if you can raise from the dead and walk on water, you can probably shoot lasers out of your eyes. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's what they're thinking, right? We're going we're gonna to see this thing go down, right? You're going to make peace for the people of God. You're going to make peace on earth. That's the promise, right? Peace on earth. Good. We do it every year at Christmas. That's the promise. And Jesus responds back to them, and he doesn't chastise them for having that kind of idea because there is coming a day when Jesus will restore everything, and it will be holistic. It will not just be spiritual. It will be, I mean, it will be everything, we get that, look forward to that day. And Jesus is not saying, hey, don't, don't think about that. What he's saying is don't worry about the timelines. He says, for it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that fa the Father executes in his own authority. The Greek word there is exousia. means power. It's not within your power to know the timetables. Stop focusing on that. Stop focusing on that. Because you have a different kind of power that you need to focus your energy on. 
He says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Greek word there is dunamis. It's used throughout the New Testament. Dunamis. You receive power when the Holy Spirit, listen, comes upon you. To be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this... This sentence is a big deal. I have literally, as a pastor, preached three weeks on just that one verse. Because there's a lot happening in that one verse. But you will receive power. And when their ears hear that, it starts burning. Because it's like, wait a second, we talk about that kind of power, that kind of dunamis power, as the Greek word is used. That's when Jesus would do, like, miracles. That's when he would spit mud and put it in person's eyes and they could see now. Like, that's when he calls forth Lazarus from the grave. Yeah. Wait a second, Jesus. Hold up. You're going to see... Pa- you, wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, Jesus. Wait. Right? <laughs> see, power in the Holy Spirit comes upon. Now, now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know you've read that phrase before. You've read it in the Old Testament over and over and over again, in fact. The Holy Spirit comes upon people. In the Old Testament. And it was very, very, very special people. People like the prophets. People always would come upon them and they would prophesy, right? They would direct kings and nations with their prophecies. The judges, Samson and Gideon, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? Moses, the Holy Spirit comes upon Moses. Like this was for special people. Wait a second, Jesus. Power to do miracles. I'm not special. Uh, this is not for me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus, time out! I've never been more than 30 miles from my hometown. You didn't travel over the world when you were in the ancient world. I was unsafe. And before they get an opportunity to ask a follow-up question, Jesus does something that, that I'm sure... I mean, they don't experience so many things in their life with Jesus. But again, this is one of those moments like, what just, what just happened? Because here's what happens next. Jesus is talking to them. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He finishes that sentence, and then he floats into the sky. I'm talking like David Blaine, Peter Pan, like that kind of thing. That's where we're at, okay? That's where we're at. He floats into the sky, and they're standing there with their mouths open, right? And, and they're so overwhelmed by what just took place, they have no idea that angels have appeared in front of them. What kind of day do you have to be having? <laughs> the angels appear in front of you, and that's not the most exciting thing that's happened. That's real, right? And the angels say, this same Jesus... You saw, go into heaven. It's going to come back someday, so let's get to work. What is going on here? What is happening? Why did Jesus do it this way? Jesus could have done this any number of ways. And here's what I've come to learn over a lifetime of, of studying Jesus and following Jesus, is that Jesus never does anything by accident. Do you know that? He always does things on purpose. I do things by accident. Jesus, No. And he chooses to go out this way for a reason. Why, oh why, oh why, does Jesus choose 
to do this. I mean, he's left them before. And he's disappeared in the room from them. Why did he choose this? See, for us, we're a little bit removed from some of this. But for the disciples, they caught exactly what Jesus was doing. Because what Jesus was doing was he gave an object lesson to what he had just said. He said, you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. And he's going to show them what that means through the way that he left. Because he is not the first person to have done that before. And so for us to to walk ourselves into the power of that phrase, we really have to go back. We have to journey back to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And so if you have the Bible this morning, you can join me there. I'll catch you up to where we are. There are a couple of players in this part of the scripture. One of them is named Elijah. Elijah is the prophet. In fact, when they would think about what a prophet is, like, you know how when you think about the greatest of all time in basketball, you of course think of Michael Jordan, uh, because that's the right answer, okay? (laughs) Right? 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 So, so you think of, of the greatest of all time. That, that, that greatest of all time for a prophet, Elijah. Elijah. That's what they thought of, right? That's what they came to. But he had, he had someone who followed him, a disciple named Elisha. Elisha had been following him since 1 Kings chapter 19. And he'd been journeying with him. And, and, and for some reason, I, I, the scriptures don't speak to this. We don't understand it, but that's okay. Um, for some reason, everybody knows that Elijah is about to leave. Yeah. Elijah's about to leave. And so Elisha has been preparing for this moment. Everybody seems to know this, including this third group of people called the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets in this story are kind of, kind of goons, Okay. They're kind of, kind of goobers, all right? Everybody have a goober in their life? These are them, okay? And what happens is, is Elijah is going from city to city to city. And in every city, the sons of the prophets there, this group of people who are learning how to be prophets, um, uh, they, they, they corner Elisha and say, did you know that your, your boss, your guy is about to leave you? And Elisha um, this is not like the original Hebrew, but basically it's my translation. Elisha says, shut up and leave me alone in every city, right? Leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. But in every city, here, here's what happens. Elijah says to Elisha, you stay here. I've got to go there. I've got to go to Jericho. I've got to go Gilgal. I, I, I've got to go there. And in every place, Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not leaving you. And so from place to place to place, Elisha is following him. But we get to this special moment. It's in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 6, where they come to the Jordan River. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, stuff goes down at the Jordan River. Right? This is a place that is meaningful. And God often works in patterns so that we can gather that this is a significant moment. He uses these, these hallmarks. He uses these, these codes so that we go, oh, God's doing something. God's doing something. And we come to the Jordan River. In verse 6, it says, Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. 
So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as the they were both standing by the Jordan. Now listen, here's the picture. I want you to get this in your mind, the Jordan River. You've got Elijah and Elisha on the side of the Jordan River. And then down a little bit, down the river, like hiding in the bushes, sons of the prophets. Like creeping on them like weirdos, okay? Because they know something's about to go down. Elijah, Elisha, creepers. Okay, that's what we got. All right? So... Two of them went on, the 50 men of the sons of the prophets are at a distance. Then Elijah took up his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. Now what you need to understand is this cloak, sometimes translated as mantle, right? This was a thing that prophets wore. You could spot a prophet a mile away because they had a, a mantle. It was like their uniform. It was like, that's their thing. And that mantle represented the power of God, the anointing of God, the presence of God that was on that prophet for his work. It was the, the physical manifestation of, of what that spiritual reality was. And so Elijah, he, he grabs that mantle. He grabs the power of God. He takes the cloak. He rolls it up and strikes the water. And the water is parted from one side to the other. And they walk across on dry ground. In case you don't know it, this has happened before. It's a big moment. It's a big moment. They walk across on dry ground. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. Elisha has been following him from place to place to place to place, and he has been waiting for this moment. Because he knows what he's going to say. Very quickly he says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Elijah, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church where my pastor used to say, if I don't have anything to say, I just say it louder, okay? <laughs> like, beating the pulpit loud. I've heard this sermon before. I've heard it preached that I want two times as much, praise God. Come on, somebody, right? I've been in that church service, right? I've responded to that altar call, okay? <laughs> I've been there. And that's a good thing. Let me just say that. It's a good thing to want all you can get from Jesus. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. It's in the ancient world when a, uh, a father was going to pass away, what would happen is, is they would have sons. And they had sons, especially the eldest son, was really important. Because what would happen with the estate was that, that the father would take two-thirds of his estate and he would give it to the eldest son. One-third of the estate would go to the rest of the sons, divided out. Two-thirds, the double portion, goes to the eldest son because it was the responsibility of the eldest son to take on the, the, the leadership of the family, to continue the work the father was doing. His job was to continue on the legacy of the family from one generation to the next. And he needed two-thirds of the inheritance to be able to do that for the whole family. And so what Elisha is saying to Elijah is not going to have two times what you got. 
What he is saying, I, I want your inheritance so I can continue on the work that you have been doing. Okay? And Elijah goes, well, you've asked a hard thing. Yet, yeah, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And they went on a little bit further. And chariots and horses of fire separated them. And Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He saw him no more. He, he, he tears his clothing. He took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. He went back to the banks of the Jordan. So, so that cloak, that mantle, the power of God, right? He's fallen to the ground. He takes it up. And he walks over to the Jordan River. And you know what I know. He's thinking this. If I strike that water, it'll split. Right? He's standing there with what he's asked for. The inheritance of God that was on Elijah so that, they could, that he could continue on and be the prophet that Elijah was. He's standing there. I wonder if I, I hit this water and it's split. No, no, we don't know this next part. So, like, for what it's worth, this is just Josh. Okay? But if it's me, and it's Josh holding it, there's another thought. Remember, remember, we've got creepers. Sons of the prophet are there too. Elijah's not alone. Elisha's not alone. What if I strike the water and nothing happens? These guys are over there. They're waiting and they're watching because there's a whole world of people out there waiting for you to fail. Don't you know that? I mean, I got a Facebook account. Right? The whole group of folks out there ready to go, yep, I told you. Right? I knew he didn't have it in him. So I have to believe that if it was me, I can't speak for Elisha, I have to believe that if it was me, I'd be standing there going, I wonder if it will part, and I wonder if it won't, and I wonder how many times in my life I have been given what I have prayed for. And I stood there holding it because I was worried about what other people might think. I wonder how many times that, that I've missed what God wanted to do in my life because I was so worried about what if it didn't happen. I was literally holding the mantle. God had given it to me. And all that needed to happen was the step of faith. All that needed to happen was the action of faith for me to strike the water, and I didn't do it. God put that dream in my life. And it stuck in my hands. Because I was worried about what they were going to say. Elisha got some good news. He rolls that up. He strikes that water. The water's part. And the sons of the prophets say, sure, the spirit 
that was on Elijah is now on Elisha. Jesus is on the side of a hill with his disciples. And he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon me to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he shows them what he's doing. He shows them that he is going to give them his inheritance so that they can carry on the work that he was doing. And it was not just going to be for special people. It was not just going to be for the, the best of the best, for the prophet or the one that's got, got their name. It was going to be for everyone. He says, you receive power. Do you know that's a, that's a Greek word originally? That, that's a word that is a plural you. I'm from Oklahoma, guys. You know what that means? Y'all. Okay? <clears throat> everyone. Every believer. Every follower of Christ. If your life has been transformed by Christ, the promise of Christ is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon you so that you could continue the work that Jesus has done. Now, now listen. Think about this. Think about this. Think about this in your, in your school. Think about this in your, your workplace. Think about this in your neighborhood. Think about this at Walmart. The Holy Spirit has been promised to you so that you can continue the work. What did it say? You will receive power. What was that power? That you would do the work of the Lord. The way that Jesus did it. So that when they're sick, they are healed. Where there's brokenness, they're made whole. Where there, where there is a, a moment when you go, I don't know, man. I don't know if I, what, if I say it, if it's going to penetrate their heart. You know what Jesus, they said about Jesus time and time again? They use this phrase, that he spoke with such authority. That he had this ability, probably more than his miraculous ability to, to heal the sick. He had this ability to penetrate the firewalls of our heart. So when he'd say something, it would just like arrest their attention. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where I've wondered, God, if I say this, what will they think? And if I say this, what if nothing happens? And Jesus is saying, I want to give you the same power. So when you talk, it's not you talking. It's the power of the Spirit penetrating that person's heart. Imagine what would happen in Fremont, Ohio. <laughs> if this church would say, I'm going to grab hold of that power. I'm going to grab a hold. If everybody here, all, let's use the word, whoo, there'd be some people's lives changed. I drove around Fremont last night. I got here last night. Drove around downtown. I can tell you what I felt driving through the city. Same thing I feel all over the state of Ohio. I prayed these streets last night. I prayed for you guys because you're it. You're God's plan A. 
You know, he doesn't have a plan B. You're it. And every, every broken down family, every person who is chasing after stuff that just is, doesn't matter, every person bound in addiction, every pers- person turned around, every person lost and far from God, you're it. See, the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't just an upgrade for the disciples. It wasn't like add-on equipment. Like I got seat warmers in my car, you know, rear, a backing up camera. It was like the engine. If you don't have it, you don't go anywhere. God has called each and every one of you and this church to go into this community and the surrounding communities to continue the work of Jesus. And what did Jesus say that he came to do? He said he came to seek and to save those who were lost. And the way that he did that was by the power of the Spirit. And he says, I'm going to make you a prophet. I'm going to let you continue on this work so that everyone, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how smart you are or how not smart you are, I don't care how skilled you think you are, I don't care what your past is, it doesn't matter because every time the Bible talks about this, it uses the word all. And everyone. In small ways, big ways can receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit to continue the work of God in this world. So I want you to stand across this room. Close your eyes because here's this moment. You're going to ask yourself, what do I do, Josh? And I just go back to the book again and look at Acts and say we do what the disciples did. That's to pray. Their first response to this news was to lock themselves in the room and pray to put themselves in a posture to be able to receive from the Lord, to say yes. I believe in this moment there are some folks who've been holding on to the mantle. You've been standing on the edge of the Jordan. You've been waiting to strike, and it's time to strike. It's time to exercise that faith and, and move. Some of you have walked into this room, and you've let your past discount you. If people only knew my story, listen, Jesus knows your story and he's still willing to give you this power. (laughs) Jesus knows, and he never messes up. Listen, you can receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life to do what God's called you to do. Moms and dads in this room, let me tell you, you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be a parent. You do. You're trying to raise up people to follow Jesus. That's your job as a parent. (laughs) You need this. Grandmas and grandpas, you need this. So I want us to pray. And and in this moment, I I don't just want to be a me prayer. I want it to be a we pray. Like, I want you to, to, to pray that God would work in your life and allow God, maybe you're there on the edge and you're going, I don't know, ask God for faith to put your trust in him so that you can continue the work that Jesus started. Let's pray together. God, I pray for my friends today. I pray that in this moment that the fullness and the power of your spirit would descend upon this church. 
God, I pray for dramatic outpouring of your spirit. God, that you would fill this church and each and every person in it like a cup that's being filled up and overflowing. And that overflow would touch, would touch neighborhoods. And that overflow would touch, would touch friends who are far from God. Overflow would touch family members who seem like they'll never come to Jesus. That, that, that overflow would be miracles, signs, and wonders. That overflow would be, would be Holy Ghost courage to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I pray today that you would use this church to reach Fremont. Not in their own strength, not in their own cleverness, God, but through the power of your Spirit. Because the power of the Spirit is the only way to access the hearts of the broken. So God, I pray that you would use these folks, that they would continue in the work that you've already started, not in their own strength, but in the fullness of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Whew, man, I don't know about you, but I have been encouraged I've been motivated, I've been challenged, right? And uh, thank you, Pastor Josh, for that word. You may be seated. A couple uh, follow-ups from that is I would challenge you, you know, thank you for leading us in in prayer in this moment, but uh, what Pastor Josh was saying is you keep reading, you see that they they stuck around for, for a number of days just praying together and just seeking what God had for them. And so I would challenge you. You don't let this just be a one and done where we pray and then we walk out and, and everything's the same. But just keep pressing in and asking God, God, I want all that you have for me. And uh, if you're a believer, the spirit of God is already inside of you. It's, it's saying, God, I want your spirit to be activated in me in a way that I've never experienced before. Paul talks about keeping in step with the spirit. He talks about being continually filled with the spirit. And so I would just challenge you, just ask him, God, today... Would you allow your spirit to be activated inside of me in a way I haven't experienced today? Would you give me eyes to see what you want me to do and, and then give me the power and the courage to do what you are calling me to do? And he will. He will. That's the adventure of following Jesus. Christianity, if Christianity to you is boring and mundane, then you're not doing it right. It's supposed to be an adventure of every day saying, I want to actively, actually follow you today. You know, another, another follow-up as you read through the book of Acts is you'll see that for followers of Jesus, the very first thing that they did, uh, really before anything else, is that they would be baptized in water. And so I want to challenge you in two weeks, two weeks from today, we're having water baptisms. And if you have not yet been baptized since you decided to follow Jesus, since you received his grace and you received his forgiveness, if you haven't been baptized since that time, then we'd love to baptize you. I'd love to give you information on what that means. And so on your connection card at the ba- on the bottom where it says next steps, you can check that box about baptism. And we'd love to, to help you out with that. Looking for already uh, several people have registered for that and, and we're excited about uh just seeing people follow through. By the way, maybe you were baptized as an infant. We don't discount that. There was a hugely important deal between your parents and God, but let's just be honest. You didn't really know what was going on. You were kind of brought along for the ride, and so uh, I would just challenge you, man, think about what that looks like uh, as, a, as a believer, as someone who has chosen to follow Jesus to be baptized. And uh, 
so thank you for checking that. In a few minutes when you leave, there will be buckets there for your connection cards as you're walking out. I want to thank you for your generosity to Journey Church. We mentioned earlier the serve day yesterday, and so many of those projects were done because of your generosity. So much that's going on around this church and the ministries that are going on. And we mentioned camp. Our church provides a $75 scholarship to every kid that goes to camp from our church. And so all of that is funded through your generosity, the 37 missionary partners that we partner with is, is accomplished through your generosity. So thank you for being consistent, and thank you for uh, just following the Lord and giving the Lord's tithes and his offerings. How do you do that? We have a giving box out in the lobby. You can give via our website, explorejourney.org, or you can give on our app as well. Appreciate you guys doing that. And then I uh, want to let you know next week we're starting a brand new sermon series called Get to the Point. We've done this before where uh, we're going to use some of the rides from Cedar Point as launching points for discussion and conversation about what the Bible has to say. So I'll give you just a little hint. Next week we're going to be talking about one of my favorite rides. It's no longer there, but growing up it was one of my favorite rides, the Demon Drop. So next week we're going to be talking about the Demon Drop. And some of you have legitimately had questions about what, what is this deal in the Bible about demons and demonic activity and darkness and what did Jesus have to say about the demonic. And so we encourage you to come back for that. The following week we'll be talking about Wicked Twister. We'll be talking about the agenda of darkness and what darkness is trying to do in our lives and our families. And, uh, but it's not all bad news because the third week it's going to be Power Tower. And we're going to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and some of the things that Pastor Josh talked about this morning will tee us up for that conversation. And then the final week, week four, will be uh, the wind seeker. And so we'll be talking about what does it mean to be a person who is continually, constantly seeking uh, the wind, the ruach, the spirit of God. And so I want to challenge you. Maybe you know somebody who uh, you wonder if there isn't a little demonic activity in their lives. <laughs> we laugh about it, but it could be true. You know, invite someone to join you. I'm telling you, there are people in your lives that are genuinely curious. They've watched movies. They've wondered about the supernatural. And you can just, in a conversation, maybe even God will lead you this week and have a conversation where that comes up. And you can just say, hey, you know what, my pastor is actually talking about this this Sunday. And uh, we'd love for you to, to invite a friend to join you. So uh, would you stand to your feet? This week, may you walk in the fullness of the Spirit. This week, may you just focus on what He has for you. Ask Him to lead you. Have ears to hear His promptings, His voice. And then may you have the courage to step out and to do the things that He's calling you to do this week. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.